This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. I've been preparing for this all my life. Here's Porter on hard and taking him to school. What a great play by Jay Shante. KJ Martin climbed Bobon Mountain. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And you've seen tonight that we, we fought together, we stayed together, and it's about damn time, man. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And look, if you enjoy what we do here, be sure to subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel as well as wherever you listen to your podcasts, you got Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts podcast wherever you listen to your podcast youtube hit that subscribe button i would greatly appreciate it today's episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra so be sure to stay tuned for our Michelob ultra moment of the week later in the episode now we're going to start things off with some pretty awesome news jay sean tate has made it to the all rookie first team now this was something that we basically campaigned for all season long Right. You know, Jay Sean Tate's presence on this Rockets team, his development, the fact that he came in as a 25 year old rookie and his his presence was immediately felt by this Rockets team on both sides of the basketball court. It really felt like he deserved the nomination to the all rookie first team. And unfortunately, it felt like he might. There was there was this brief window here where. I was legitimately concerned that he might not get the nod to the all-rookie first team because we just found out that LaMelo Ball was selected as the rookie of the year, which, hey, no argument there. LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, sure, right? Toss-up. I definitely was campaigning for Jay Sean to at least be a finalist for rookie of the year. Instead, Halliburton gets the nod there. But then not only that, and this is the part where I was – very taken aback. Sadiq Bay of the Detroit Pistons received three third place votes for rookie of the year. And I was getting ready to burn everything to the ground when that happened, because that to me was the moment where I thought, okay, Jay Sean might not get the first team all rookie nod, but the, the, First team All NBA rookie team comprised of uh, of Anthony Edwards, Lamelo, uh, Lamelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Sadiq Bay, and then of course your very own Houston Rocket, Jay Shantae. The first All Rookie uh, team member selection since Luis Scola, all the way back in two thousand and eight, which is just completely wild to think about. You think you go all the way back and you realize that. Uh, those two guys kind of shared a similar path and that they weren't traditional rookies by any stretch of the imagination. Both guys playing, uh, you know, obviously Louis Skull a little bit more extensively overseas before coming to the NBA as a rookie. But for me, really, this is just a testament to how hard Jay Sean Tate has worked, how much time he's put in to get to the place where he's at now as a player. You know, his journey wasn't a conventional one right he goes undrafted has to spend you know a couple time a couple years overseas um gets cut 
because of injury from, I believe it was the Bucks training camp roster one season. Uh, just so much adversity that he's faced. And at 25 years old, to finally make his way back to the NBA and to then have the rookie season that he had. We already did our Jay Sean Tate season in review with Ali Kambijani. Uh, be sure to go check that out if you haven't yet. That one's not on YouTube. That one's still just podcast format. But for him to be able to come in, have the immediate impact that he did as as a defender, which we've we've you know raved about his defense all season long. But he truly is he's the best defender among his class, bar none. Like there's no other rookie that that comes close to him and the level of defense that he provides. And then not only that, but his offensive package, the fact that. He's comfortable handling the ball. He's comfortable as a facilitator. He's really good when you get him going downhill towards the rim. He's very adept at finishing with that left hand, so much so that he doesn't even need the right hand, which is just amazing to think about. You, you know, you get Jay Shantate down in the paint, even against opposing bigs who are towering over him. He uses that wide array of of you know fakes and moves and hesitations and then pivots and he's gonna find a way to get back to that left hand no matter what and when he does chances are pretty good that he's going to manage to score the basketball so I'm just really happy for Jay Sean Tate I think that he absolutely deserved this I would have loved to have seen him be a finalist for the award um because that would have been a pretty cool experience as well but overall, like, you know, in a season where there wasn't a whole lot for Rockets fans to necessarily, I guess, cheer for, right? Like, you're coming into the season and, right, we, we kind of all wanted, like, Christian Wood to really be pushing for the most improved player of the year award. And unfortunately, we just didn't get to see that happen because Christian Wood missed too many games. Uh, but Jay Sean Tate had his, uh, his comments uh, after receiving the award uh, via Mark Berman, Fox 26, Mark Berman. Uh, so Tate saying, to finally see some recognition, I mean, it's dope. Uh, you talk about Coach Silas and Rafael Stone, uh, them giving me an opportunity to take somebody that other teams didn't see fit their roster and giving me a chance. I'm just thankful for everybody in my corner, all the Rockets trainers. Uh, last summer during COVID, I felt like I made a huge step in my game mentally and physically. This is definitely a great milestone that nobody can take away from us. It's just, like I said, added fuel to my fire. And I really love that, like, sidebar here, but that mentality for Jay Sean Tate where he goes, you know, instead of saying, instead of him saying it's not something, it, you know, it's something that you can't take away from me, he says it's something you can't take away from us, right? He's got that team mentality. And that us, I think, encompasses, right? It encompasses the Rockets. It encompasses Silas. It encompasses Stone. It encompasses his trainers. It encompasses everybody who's helped get him to this point. And he realizes that he's had this, you know, vast support system, support network of different individuals, and he wants to give them credit. And I think that's like shows a level of maturity in that he understands and knows, okay, this was not all just me, right? And I don't know, that just kind of speaks to the type of person that Jay Sean Tate is. And hopefully he's a rocket for a very, 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 very long time. He's got two more years left on his deal. He's already, look, he outplayed his deal in the first like two months of the NBA season, right? First two months in and you're like, yeah, he's way better than what they signed him to. So 
I'm I'm hopeful that the Rockets are going to be able to hold on to him long term. They absolutely should. He should be a Houston legend for years to come. But with that, I'm super proud of Jay Sean Tate. Super happy for him. It's nice for the Rockets to walk away with uh, some semblance of an award this season. But we got to talk about our Michelob Ultra moment of this not uh, of this week of this season. But this is the moment that stands out to me and. My Michelob Ultra moment is the fact that, and this tees us up for our next segment beautifully, it's the fact that Rafael Stone did not trade James Harden for Ben Simmons. That is our Michelob Ultra moment. Want to know why? Because that moment makes me so happy. That moment gives me so much enjoyment because Ben Simmons, the other night, against the Hawks, in Game 5, in a pivotal Game 5, Attempted only four shots, had eight points, went four of 14 from the free throw line. Did have nine assists, did have four rebounds, but this is not the kind of guy that you are able to build a franchise around. It's just not. So I'm sorry, you know, not having Ben Simmons in a Rockets jersey brings me an immense amount of joy because you know what? Those numbers that I just read off to you, those numbers terrible you know what numbers aren't terrible Michelob Ultra only 2.6 carbs 95 calories it's only worth it if you enjoy it and I'll tell you what I am very much enjoying the fact that Ben Simmons is not a Houston Rocket and I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into this coming up in just one moment and continuing on here Locked on Rockets your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball part of the Locked on Podcast Network your team every single day Let's talk for a moment about Ben Simmons and by extent kind of revisiting the James Harden trade because here's my thing and I received I've received a little bit of pushback from this in little group chats and little comments here and there a couple locker rooms and there seems to be this notion amongst other franchises that the Rockets did not walk away with anything of value from the James Harden trade. And it seems like everybody wants to constantly circle back to like the Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince situation where you know they, they want to crucify the Rockets for not bringing back uh, obviously obvious franchise cornerstone, Karis LeVert. Look, Karis is a good player. I'll give him that. He's a good player. He's not a cornerstone. And... At his contract value, being locked into that deal for the first, I think it's two more years after the season has concluded. I mean, that's just not what the Rockets wanted to do. They wanted the chance to be competitive, but to also maintain future flexibility. And so it it, it feeds into the exact same reason why they didn't trade for Ben Simmons. You didn't want to be locked into four or five years of Ben Simmons as the guy that you were supposedly have to try and build your team around because let's face it, a team comprised of John Wall, Ben Simmons, and Christian Wood would have probably not been the worst team in the NBA this season, but they would have been like treading water. And then especially when Christian Wood finally went down, like had he still gone down and missed a significant portion of the season, this team wouldn't be in the position that it's in to potentially land a top four pick and really jumpstart the rebuild. The whole goal of the James Harden trade was to replenish the cupboard of assets for the Houston Rockets that were depleted 
when they orchestrated the Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul trade to Oklahoma City. That much is evident. And they did that. They got a they got they they completely restocked the treasure trove of first round picks via the Brooklyn Nets. That wouldn't have happened if you take the Philadelphia 76ers offer of what was at the time comprised of Ben Simmons, uh, Matisse Thibel, and two first-round draft picks. And they were haggling over the picks and also over Tyrese Maxey. So for me, it just doesn't make any sense why people can't see that the Rockets did actually walk away with a significant haul. And I think it's, it's really because there isn't one player that you can point to and say, oh yeah, the Rockets got this guy, right? Because you look at like the PG deal with the, the the Los Angeles Clippers and they got back SGA as well as the draft capital. You go back even further to the Anthony Davis deal and the situation there where AD forces his way to, to LA and you've got the, you've got, I mean, you've got Brandon Ingram, you've got uh, Jordan, not Jordan Clarkson, uh, Josh Hart, uh, who else am I blanking? You've got Lonzo Ball. I mean, that package was was stacked, absolutely. So for me, that's probably the reason why people look look upon this trade so poorly, and that's also why Rafael Stone has been so verbal and so upfront about, hey, you can't judge this trade in its entirety until like 2027, until all these picks convey or until we've traded them all or done something with them. And that's the part that nobody seems to be wrapping their head around because everybody's like, well, why didn't the Rockets take Karis LeVert? They gave up Victor Oladipo for nothing. Well, actually, they gave up Victor Oladipo and the dude went on to play a handful of games for the Miami Heat, uh, sat out the rest of the season due to his what, hamstring injury, quad injury, some one lower leg injury. I want to say hamstring. Can't keep up with how many injuries the NBA has had. It's been insane, the number of breakdowns that players have had. And... They got back Kelly Olynyk, who has been a revelation as a Houston Rocket in Steven Silas's system, the free-flowing system that Olynyk is now allowed to play in. His ball handling has been shown off, his passing ability, the fact that they played a somewhat like, you know, mini Twin Towers lineup with Olynyk and Christian Wood. I mean, that has been Olynyk was better in 10 games than Oladipo was in any of his games here as a Houston Rocket. And not only that, but you got another pick swap out of Miami for doing it. So I think that Rafael Stone is not receiving the credit that he rightfully deserves for handling the Harden trade to the best of his ability. Because if there had been a better offer out there than the Brooklyn Nets package, he probably would have taken it. But the second best offer was the Ben Simmons deal, which to this day, I am still so thankful and so happy, so joyous that the Rockets did not take that offer. Past that, what what offer was there? The Tyler Harrow package? The Tyler Harrow package where the Miami Heat didn't want to give up Tyler Harrow for James Harden? Give me a break. You know, there weren't any other packages out there for this guy because, unfortunately, there were a lot of teams that talked themselves out of James Harden. Shout out Danny Ainge in Boston who convinced himself that he didn't want James Harden. And now Boston Celtics in flames. No more Danny Ainge. Dallas, speaking of, I'm just sidebar, speaking of being in flames, Dallas, what is, Dallas Mavericks, what's going on there? I mean, you got Luka Doncic, he's unhappy. You got Donnie Nelson, out, as president of basketball operations. You got Rick Carlisle, out, as head coach. Greatest Mavs coach in history, the championship coach. He's gone, stepping away. Uh, 
seemingly unexpectedly, which and then not only that, they've got like the, the shadow GM Bob Vulgaris is like steering the ship over there. I mean, just makes me feel better about the Rockets, right? Like, you know, just at least the Rockets have been quiet since the offseason hit, man. Things have been quiet, smooth sailing. We're just waiting for the meltdown to happen as to four, uh, four days from now when they get a chance to uh, reclaim their pick via the pick swap with Oklahoma City or just be super depressed forever that they missed out on a top four prospect. But it, it, it kind of makes me wonder what Steven Silas thinks about what's going on in Dallas, because you have to imagine that Silas would have been a potential successor to Rick Carlisle in Dallas. And maybe there might've been, you know, one or two other guys there that, you know, a little bit longer tenure than him that would be ahead of him in the pecking order for the head coaching position. But the chance to coach a top five talent in Luka Doncic, uh, I mean, Look, I'm really, really glad the Rockets got Steven Silas when they did because there's a part of me that wonders, you know, had they been a year late, had he, you know, not left Dallas to join the Rockets when he did, then, you know, don't know what their coaching situation would look like. But I am, you know, in the firm camp of Steven Silas that I do believe he is going to be a quality coach in the NBA. And there are things that we can point to. We've had, Numerous different people point to the fact that Steven Silas is a highly intelligent individual. He cares so much about this team. The players play hard for him. So many different positives that you can take away from Steven Silas's first year, even though the record, 17-55, doesn't exactly reflect uh, a lot of confidence in, in, in this situation moving forward. Not to say it's a crazy situation. Shout out James Harden. But Silas was just handed a really difficult hand this year. So... I don't begrudge I don't begrudge him for that and it's un, you know it's unfair to judge him. So anybody who is managing to sit here and say, "Oh, Steven Silas, you know, get him out of here. He's a bad coach." You're not watching the games, you're not paying attention because Steven Silas was handed, you know, a, a, a revolving door of players, didn't even, you know, had guys suiting up 30 minutes before games, you know, had never even spoken to him before and then they'd go out and, you know, play 30 minutes in a given basketball game. So I didn't, you know, that that's that's my point on Steven Siles. I kind of derailed this segment a little bit, but to to tie it all back together in a pretty little bow, happy that Ben Simmons is not a Houston Rocket because he is not a guy that you build your franchise around. At best, he is, uh, what did I say in that one locker room? I need my local content aggregator, Carly, here to break this down for me. Um, oh, I, I said he's uh, he's an over overhyped, or overpaid, no, I think they probably get paid this out about the same. Whatever, overhyped Draymond Green. It's what he is. Yeah, sounds about right. Because at least Draymond knows what he is offensively, and you know, he gives you the same DPOY level defense, and you know, often but you know, Ben Simmons just the whole like he shoots with the wrong hand meme. Like, I mean, is it a meme? Is it real? It's real. Like KOC pulled the receipts that it's real that Ben Simmons, you know, grew up as a righty and then you know started shooting lefty. So I mean, it's a whole it's a whole mess. It's a nightmare. I'm just glad that it's not the Rockets' nightmare to deal with. So coming up, I do want to talk about uh, a little bit of the news probably around the NBA, some of the crazy hectic stuff that's going on there, as well as uh, Kelly Eco, who had an exclusive piece with 
Rafael Stone of the Houston Rockets uh, in The Athletic. It was a really solid overall piece. Uh, they sat down. They had a conversation for about an hour, which is really cool. I'll pull a couple excerpts from that, and we'll get there after a quick message from our friends over at rockauto.com. Now, look, when it comes to you know car parts, it's basically impossible to stock everything they need in a traditional chain, you know, chain store, brick and mortar storefront, because there's just so many options, right? There's too many to be able to keep in one warehouse, which is why rockauto.com is needs to be your absolute go-to place because they've got everything that you need. They've got engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, brand new carpet. Doesn't matter if you need it for your car, rockauto.com has it. And the best part, the prices at rockauto.com are reliably low. They're always they're they're always the best possible prices rather than like charging DIY guys one set of prices and then professionals another set of prices. Why would you want to spend up to 30, 50, 100 percent more for the exact same prices? Visit rockauto.com, check out their selection, the, the catalog, super easy to navigate. Go check them out. And be sure, when you do check them out, be sure to write locked on in there. How did you hear about us, box? So that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And we got one more message from our friends over at BetOnline.ag. Because look, BetOnline is the fastest and it's the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's been in full swing for a minute now. NBA playoffs are here and cruising along and they are very, very exciting. And then they've also got NHL, UFC, MMA. I mean, you name it, they've got it over at Bet Online. So it's time. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time for your chance to get in on the action. And you can do that with promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit at Bet Online. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today on our road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Now, as we're rolling into this final segment, I do want to focus a little bit on uh, Rafael Stone and this exclusive that he did with Kelly Eco of The Athletic. Shout out Kelly Eco, who's constantly putting out amazing content. Uh, we, we hype him up pretty frequently in our Locked on Rockets film room sessions with Ali Kambijani. But Kelly, you know, he's a great guy, does incredible work covering the team. So shout out to him for securing this exclusive. Um, so there's just a couple excerpts that I'm going to read here. I'm not going to uh, aggregate the entire piece because that'd be unfair to Kelly. Definitely. Look, if you're not subscribed to the athletic, you should go subscribe really quick. Like I get it, you know, it's a monthly fee, but it's like, I don't know, like I pay like three bucks a month. Like it's just really worth it for all the content that they pump out, all the different content creators, go check them out. But you know, some of this interview, it's uh, a decent bit of like GM speak for the most part. It's still really cool to hear directly from Rafael Stone, directly from the guy who is now, you know, the face of the Rockets front office. Um, but like one here, you know, so uh, Kelly asks, you know, you touched on Silas earlier, but what is that connection with a head coach like? Both of you were in new roles and just went through a really difficult transition. Rafael Stone follows up and says, Steven's a really smart guy who's also a really good human being. This was an incredibly challenging year. He's the type of person, if you're going to be challenged, if you're going to have to go through a year like this, you'd want to do it with someone like him. He's always got a great attitude. He's very team first. He's very unworried about himself and very worried about the group. 
So he's not worried about tomorrow. He's worried about the big picture. He's been great. And so, you know, I think, and there's a follow-up there about, you know, do, do they, do Silas and Stone, you know, go back and forth or do they kind of see the game the same way? And Stone replies, I do think we see the game similarly, but not exactly the same. We tend to see similar things, but he's such a different person from me. His whole vibe, his method of communicating everything. We're very different people, which I think is good. You don't need all the same personalities, but we don't fight is the answer. We don't fight like ever. And this part kind of stood out to me because I really think that from the top down, from an organizational standpoint, with Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, there was a lot of cohesion there, right? They all were in sync. They were in agreement about how they wanted to approach the game, the style that they wanted to play, all of that. And obviously, that style had a lot of success, right? They were a hammy away from the finals, 65-win team, you know, best in franchise history, really competitive all throughout Mike D'Antoni's tenure. So to be able to find that level of agreement and cohesion between your lead basketball operations representative in your general manager, your head coach, and then your star player, that means a lot. And so it sounds like, you know, at least on the surface, that Stone and Silas have a really strong relationship already. And it's probably, I mean, frankly, that relationship's probably been born out of a little bit of adversity when you think about it, because they went through this season from hell together. And now they're finally like on the other side of it. And they can finally focus on the future of this team. You know, there was that that period of time there where Silas and Stone wanted to kind of pivot and see if they could get Victor Oladipo to buy in and if they could be competitive and make a push for the playoffs. That's it just didn't happen. It's okay. They were able to pivot out of that move into being a lottery team. And now they have a 52.1% chance at landing a top prospect and jump-starting the rebuild, or if they lose the pick, being set back a year or two in their rebuilding timeline. So I do think that it's really important that those two guys are on the same page, that they that they are bought into each other, that they trust each other, and that's kind of what I took away from that spot right there. But, I mean, Stone hit on a bunch of different areas, you know, the timeline for the team, how he views rebuilding, and a lot of it, again, it comes out as kind of GM speak a little bit, but overall, you know, he wants, he, he kind of sticks to his guns on the flexibility angle, the fact that, you know, if they lose the pick, it doesn't necessarily change their their timeline or their plan moving forward. Um, it just kind of, you know, it's an unfortunate thing, but he talks about, you know, Stone talks about the fact that you can look around the league and see so many different players who, you know, teams basically, you know, other front office executives basically saying, oh, yeah, we got super lucky with that guy. Like we had no idea he was going to pan out to the player that he, you know, turned into. Or, and then you look at other guys who, you know, they are picked in the top 10 in the lottery and then they're busts. So I think Stone is kind of chalking this up a lot to like luck at the end of the day uh, when it comes to the draft. And the, at the end of the day, the, the draft is kind of a crapshoot. I mean, once you get out of like some of the top prospects, it is a bit of a crapshoot as to who's going to actually pan out, who's not going to pan out. But I do think this is one of those years where the top four or five guys from Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, uh, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, and Jonathan Kaminga, those five guys, I mean, they are all – the ceiling is so high on them, and the floor is is relatively high as well for most of them. Minus Kaminga, the floor is really like the floor is potentially the basement on Kaminga. Um, but those guys are going to be really impactful players to a franchise. So I do think that 
it does like matter. I, I, you know, I think there was a little bit of downplay there on Rafael's part, which, hey, to his credit, like he doesn't want to come out and say, yeah, if we lose the top four pick, we're screwed. Like that's not, you don't want to hear that from your, from your front office executive. So I don't fault him for that. But the Rockets are definitely uh, going to be a couple years behind the eight ball if they uh, if they miss out on this pick because getting this pick if you're I think Karthik Prasad, good friend of the podcast, Stanford KP on Twitter, did a great job illustrating this. Is if the Rockets land uh, if they land in certain areas, it kind of gives you a, a a concrete idea of what their rebuilding timeline is, and that is Cade Cunningham is one pathway. Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, another pathway. And then if they lose the pick as the third pathway, that's the one where you're going to take, you know, another two to three to four years in the rebuild to, to get back to where you want to be. If you land Cade Cunningham, and I've been, you know, I've been kind of beating this drum for a while now. If you land Cade Cunningham, it absolutely expedites your rebuild significantly. He is the best product coming out of the draft, the most well-rounded player. He is going to be a franchise cornerstone for whoever gets him, guaranteed. Right? Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, uh, Jalen Green, all extremely talented, very high ceiling type players, but they might not have like that, I don't know, that like X factor to really be the face of a franchise, to really carry a team. And you know, with Cade Cunningham, though, it's like it's there, like it's evident. And so I think with the pathway with Cade is you're looking at the Rockets could be back in the playoffs in as little as two years with Cade Cunningham, maybe even potentially pushing for like a play in spot this upcoming season, depending on his immediate rookie year impact that he has. And then you look at the other guys. Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Kaminga, the guys that you would draft anywhere in that two through four range potentially. And I think that kind of, you know, signifies the Rockets are on the right path with the rebuild, but things still get a little bit hazier. It's still kind of like that two to three year year window, whereas Cade becomes potentially a one to two year window or the final option where you lose the pick, you drop all the way back down to number 18. Then, you know, that one's a much, you know, a three, four, five year out window for the Rockets. So I do think that, you know, as 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 much as Stone kind of treaded the water on that question a little bit, um, you know, I, I do think that it very much impacts this team. I won't have like a meltdown if they lose their pick, but I will be a little dejected. I will be a little out of it. Um, but a couple more little little tidbits from the Rafael Stone piece. So Eco asks, you know, you have a pretty young roster right now, and you also have three firsts in the draft. Could you bring in three more young guys, or is it more likely to do a deal with one of those picks? Uh, Stone says, we definitely can fit three young players, so I'm fine with it. If that's what makes the most sense, it depends on who's there in the draft. We could package and trade up. We could trade into the future. We could trade for a vet. They're all on the table. That's always going to be dictated by the deals on the table. So what did I say? More GM speak, right? (laughs) Eco tries to ask a question about what's going to happen with the picks, and Stone says, well, it could be this, or it could be this, or it could be this, 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 and this. And so it's basically, oh, so it could be anything. And he goes, yep. So, you know, it's hard to glean any information from, you know, any true information from this breakdown, from this exclusive, if only again, because a lot of it comes out in GM speak where Fellstone's not going to, you know, show his hand on what the plans are, but it does speak to just how wide open the Rockets options are, right? 
they could trade up in this draft. They very well could package the 23rd and the 24th overall pick and maybe jump up to, say, I don't know, pick number 17 if you're the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, maybe that'd be an interesting uh, option for the Grizzlies to to trade back in the draft. And that's something that Sean Coleman of Locked on Grizzlies and I have discussed a little bit uh, on the Twitter streets. Maybe they want to package those picks and you know package them and move forward uh, in, in in years, right? Uh, trade into the future so that they don't have to worry about actually cashing in those draft picks this season. Because Rafael Stone has said time and time again that the best asset, right, the the idea of a first round draft pick is almost better than the pick itself. And I'm paraphrasing there, but it's true, right? The first round draft pick is the most liquid asset in the NBA. So. If you don't feel super confident in the guys that you might be picking at those spots, it's like, eh, what is it? What's my what's my expression of choice that I want to use here? It's like driving a new car off the lot, right? As soon as you drive a new car off the lot, it loses like 35% of its value. As soon as you draft a rookie with one of those first round draft picks, bam, loses a big chunk of its value. So instead of, you know, buying the car, drafting the rookie, you know, you could trade those picks forward in time and have the flexibility down the line to decide what you want to do with those picks because, hey, look, it's a it would be a complete and utter long shot. But Luka Doncic has shown some, you know, displeasure at what's going on in Dallas, right? And I, I, first off, I think Mark Cuban would tell Luka to pack his bags and go back to Slovenia before he'd trade him to the Houston Rockets. Uh, I mean, he'd send him to the like Guandon Tigers before sending him before sending him to Houston. But the situation persists in that right at the beginning of the season, we were talking about the fact that Devin Booker might be that next star player that you know is in purgatory, depending on what happened this season with Chris Paul over these next two years with Chris Paul. And thank look, the Suns are a powerhouse and they look great. They are going to be a good team for as long as Chris Paul is there. Devin Booker took that next step. Super happy for the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker doesn't look to be the next guy who's going to be that upset star demanding a trade. But at the beginning of the season, would you have guessed that Luka Doncic would be that upset star at the end of the season? The guy who's disgruntled with his franchise and, you know, doesn't exactly look poised to stay for the immediate long-term future of the, I mean, no. So the where I want to go with this and my kind of final point to uh, put a pin in this conversation is the NBA is an ever-changing landscape. It's constantly moving around. There's constantly different parts being you know moved here, there, the other place, all this stuff happening, right? And for the Rockets to be in a position where they have the second most draft capital in the NBA behind the Oklahoma City Thunder and a desirable city. Houston's not like a tier one market. It's not, you know, it's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not LA, but they're a tier two market. Absolutely. And we've kind of seen that we, you know, we've seen that guys will choose Houston, you know, if not over one of those big markets, you know, there's obviously the no state income tax thing with Texas. There's a lot of benefits to playing for the Houston Rockets. So I don't think you you look at the Rockets and you think, oh, well, they're not a free agent destination. Nobody's ever going to want to come here or whatever. Nobody's ever going to want to play for this team. I think that's a hyperbole. So, But to be poised and to be able to continue to cultivate the young talent to potentially draft in, you know, bring in some more talented guys and, and develop them and be in a position where they could be major players for the next big name guy 
who becomes a free or who becomes upset with his franchise, that's where you want to be because that's how you jumpstart yourself and you go from, oh, okay, we're a young team with no clear timeline to, okay, we're a young team with a budding franchise cornerstone to, oh, we're a young team with a budding franchise cornerstone and we have all the assets to lob at this established NBA star to pair with our young cornerstone and, hey, we're back in contention just like that. So... I think that the Rockets and Rafael Stone have done a phenomenal job maneuvering what they were supposed to do. You know, I was, when I looking at the forefront of it, right, I was a little upset about the Harden trade at first because there wasn't that immediate instant gratification of, yes, we got X young player because it was just a bunch of picks. It was a bunch of picks and it was Victor Oladipo. And that wasn't super exciting. So, but they're on the right track. And I think that it's very key to right to not rush the rebuilding process. And I think that's exactly what Stone and company are doing. They're staying patient with it. They are not, I don't, I don't want to say that they're not biding their time. That's not the right terminology, but they're doing it the right way. They're not trying to rush a rebuild and throw it all together and do it, you know, slapdash haphazardly to where, you know, they'd be building around Ben Simmons for the future. They're trying to find their next franchise guy they're trying to find their next cornerstone and they're cultivating talent they're you know uh acquiring assets while doing so and that's all you can ask for out of this front office so with that that's going to do it for today's episode if you haven't yet be sure to subscribe to the new youtube channel subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast apple spotify google himalaya stitcher uh check it out on the brand new odyssey app all those different places subscribe would greatly appreciate it. But for today's episode, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.